Heavenly Father, help us as we gather around your word, be that in this room or be that with the Sunday school, to have our eyes focused on Jesus, to be drawn into relationship with the God who loves us and has given himself for us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most popular TV shows over the last... Oh, seven. So I've obviously done this earlier than I... Uh, one of the most popular shows on BBC Two over the last 20 years or so has been Dragon's Den. Anyone watch it? Yeah, right, okay. Uh, and in fact, in fact, apparently this year it's made the leap to BBC One, so many people watch it. And it's a fairly simple premise. Budding entrepreneurs have three minutes to pitch their business idea to a series of high-profile business names who sit in a room with great big piles of money in front of them because nobody knows what money looks like. And they're the dragons in the show's title. And they do it in the hope that they will be able to secure investment in their project in exchange for a share in their business. And some of the ideas are ingenious. Others are... A bit wacky. Some are well thought out. Others, less so. The saying, feel to prepare, prepare to feel, is exceptionally apt in this show because these dragons haven't become very, very rich for nothing. Any weakness in your idea, they will spot it, particularly on the financials. But pretty much every pitch starts in the same way. An individual comes across a particular problem and finds themselves thinking, if only there was something which did that. And then they come up with an idea before, often at great personal expense, developing a prototype and you know and what starts out as a thought as an idea in time becomes the product that they bring to the den every single one of them starts out as an idea in someone's mind And you know, that is pretty much true of anything material you encounter in life. Look around this room. Everything you can see, long before it was made or became visible, it started out in someone's mind. It probably then made its way onto a bit of paper. And in time, became the thing that you're looking at today. But to borrow from the writer of the Hebrews, everything you see emerges from the invisible. 
Over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time in the book of Hebrews, and, and in one chapter in particular, Hebrews 11. And the chapter largely comprises a potted history of great characters of faith. Some of them are well-known, some of them are less well-known. Some of them you might recognize the story that the writer's talking about, even if the character's never named. Others, we haven't a clue who he was talking about. But there are lots of things that we don't know about the book of Hebrews. It's often described as an epistle or a letter. But you know what? It's not really set out like one. Some think it was probably originally a sermon rather than a letter. Other things we don't know is who wrote it, when, why, or who they wrote it for. However, what we can pick up from the reading was that this was a bunch of early followers of Jesus going through a really hard time, although we don't quite know the precise nature of the difficulty they were facing. But it was serious enough that many of them were starting to question, is this really worth it? Many were just giving up. And the overriding message is a call to them to stick at it. To hold on. That they'd never been promised that the journey would be easy. Just that it would be worth it. And Hebrews 11 is a greatly loved chapter in what can often feel a really difficult to follow and understand book. But it doesn't just appear in a vacuum. It links into that idea of stick with it, not by minimizing the struggle, but by highlighting that what they are facing is nothing new, nor is it even anything unusual. That the life of faith or walking with God has always been like that. They are not the first person to experience this. They are part of a long, continuing story. During the week, I think it was Tuesday, I was having a really tough day with Siggy. Not because she was doing anything especially bad. She was just being a puppy. And she's not even in the ballpark of what some people experience. But on that particular day, she had me tearing my hair out. Or as she would have done if I had any hair to tear out. And you could have probably told this if you'd looked at my internet search history that day. And I have to, admit, I have to give you a confession. I was a long way from the model dog owner I would wish to be. And I was feeling quite down on myself. Like I was being a total failure, like I was making a right mess of things. But my quick search on the internet showed me that basically every new dog owner goes through precisely what I was experiencing. That and an email conversation with a good friend and who's a real dog lover telling me that this is perfectly normal and sharing some of her experiences, giving me a few pointers. Well, it was a real help and encouragement. 
Well, amongst other things, Hebrews 11 plays a similar role for these early followers of Jesus and for us. The life of faith has its ups and downs. And there are times when we might feel down and ready to give up. There might be times when we're feeling, I've made a right mess of this. When we feel like we're the only ones who has ever felt this way. Well, if we ever do, Hebrews 11 is saying, I hear you. It's always been like that. Look at these sample examples. You are part of a long and winding story of people who have felt exactly the same way as you did. But they kept going. And you can too. God is not finished with us yet. And the examples offered are quite a diverse mix. There are certainly some of them when you read through it, well, you'll find yourself thinking, really? They're heroes of faith? I mean, Samson's in there, and those of you who've been around the church for a few years might remember I did a series on Samson a while ago, or at least you might remember that there was such a series. But something I said fairly regularly when we looked at Samson's story was that there's not a lot of go thou and do likewise stuff in there. But these were all characters who had a few things in common. They were all flawed people, just as we are. None of them could truly see where the story was going, just as so often we can't. They lived with a mix of knowing what God had already done and a longing to see what is to come. And it wasn't always easy for them, just as it's not for us. So don't give up. Hold on. And we're going to be thinking about some of those characters over the next few weeks and considering what we can learn from their stories. But today we begin with a description of faith. What is this life of walking with God all about? What does it look like? And Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we cannot see. In modern conversation, faith is often presented as being divorced from the evidence. A small child wants to find faith as believing things you know aren't true. And it's often contrasted with science, which claims to believe that only in things which can be empirically proven. And people will often tell me that they're not people of faith, that they trust the science. And you know what? For most, most of us probably do, actually. We may not especially understand it, but we at least implicitly trust it most of the time. When we had a headache, we'd take a painkiller. Against all, rational, all seeming rationality, we will climb onto a plane to go on holiday. The vast majority of us have trusted the science over the last couple of years, be it in wearing face masks or taking COVID vaccines. And people of faith are often caricatured as resisting the evidence. And in fairness, it's not always unfairly, if I'm honest. But faith isn't just a dogged persistence against all evidence to the contrary. It's not a totally irrational decision to step into the darkness. Sure, faith has a strong element of risk and uncertainty. But it's not just plain stupidity. 
True faith is a choice. It is chosen. It's calculated on the basis of what we have discovered by experience. True faith is fired in the crucible of life with all its turmoil and struggles. Show me someone with a strong faith who's been around the block a few times and I will show you someone who's been through some stuff. Who's leaned on God, even if only because they had no other choice at the time. And God has brought them through it. True faith is not escapism. True faith can honestly look at the circumstances, but also consider what God can do. Either because they've seen him do it before in their own life, or they've immersed themselves in the stories of those who have gone before. True faith is what stops hope descending into mere optimism. And true faith doesn't just stay in the head. It is active. The person who arrives at the dragon's den with an idea is someone who has had faith in it. It may not be particularly well-placed faith, but they've had faith in it. They had an idea and they believed in it. Enough to act on it. They had confidence in what they were hoping for and believed in it even when no one else could see it. Hebrews goes on to say, this is what the ancients were commended for. What were they commended for? It was because they came to understand reality differently to those around them. And if there's one area in which Christians are often seen as refusing to accept the evidence, it's in the area of our origins. I've said before, all Christians are creationists. And at first you might disagree because when we tend to hear that, we think of creationism as a very particular understanding. However, the way Christians hold that view of creationism can vary quite immensely. When I say Christianity is a creationist faith, we can hold very, very divergent views about how we came to be here. And I suspect we have quite a range even within this room. But at the heart of our faith is the belief that, that the origin of all things is God. We can use telescopes to cast our eye back to the earliest moments of time. And in a sense, it just looks like everything came out of nothing. Which is kind of odd. Because empirical experience tells us that nothing comes, tends to come out of nothing. In a way, it doesn't make sense. But if I can take you back to the dragon's den, maybe there's an alternative option. That it's not that we emerge out of nothing, but that the visible has emerged from the invisible. That before anything came to be, it existed as an idea in the mind of God. We 
are creative beings. Part of what that means is that we are people who materialize the invisible. Everything you can see, however simple or complex, it started in someone's mind. And that's what we're asserting when we speak of a creative God. So what were the ancients commended for? They perceived the world differently. They perceived in a world which had so many creation myths that the universe was formed at God's command, that, that what was seen emerged from the, out of the invisible. But this wasn't an idea that was restricted to the first not point, not, 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 one second of time. It had implications for what they believed about their world and how they approached it. They emerged from a time when the world and life was largely be considered to be cyclical. What happened before would happen again and again and again. Tomorrow would simply be a repeat of today. And I don't want to touch on this too long because we're going to come to him in a few weeks. But amongst the most radical thing in the Abraham story is not actually that God connected with an individual, although that was pretty radical. It was this sense that tomorrow didn't have to be like today. It could be different. A different future could be created. Even if we couldn't see it right now, for the visible emerges from the invisible. That, and that's behind the whole story. All they could see was an invisible God. And he was the one who held and shaped that future. And that he could be trusted with it, even when they couldn't see it. They saw the world differently because they weren't merely connected to or limited by the visible or what they could see, feel, hear, smell, taste. They realized that behind it all, shaping it all, was the invisible. It was emerging from the mind of God. So they could go beyond the visible what they could see and reckon on what God could do. And Hebrews isn't urging us to do that on the basis of blind belief. It was a faith that got fired in the crucible of experience. It was carried by people down through millennia. People who had seen God do it over and over again. People who had, everything was lost. It was all just total chaos, a total mess. And God brought something out of it. They couldn't see the whole picture. But they caught a glimpse, enough of a glimpse, to keep going to keep taking the knowledge of what God had done in the past and using it as a basis of what they could see would come to pass. That tomorrow need not just be a repeat of today, but a new future, one that in time they would see, would become visible, would emerge from the invisible. It was rooted in God.
And that belief can fire faith in us too. What is that future you're longing for but can't see? What are those things you've struggled with over and over and over and still get the better of us? What is that longing you can visualize but somehow never materialize? And if it's, and if it's possible, if we were left entirely to our own devices, it never would be possible. But we're invited to perceive the world differently. That perhaps that dream, that hope, that longing has been planted in you by the one who has the power to make it possible. That the God who can bring, the, who can bring that invisible longing to reality is behind it. He's inviting you to take perhaps that first step, however tiny it feels, trusting that the next one will follow and the one will follow after that. And we're asked to, and over the next few weeks we will, consider the stories of many who have gone before us, who carried that hope down through the years. And we have more than they had. Since almost 2,000 years have passed since Hebrews was written, and we're not limited to the people who make the pages of our Bible or our Old Testament. Our history is littered with them. Maybe our own experiences are littered with people we've encountered. Yeah, flawed people certainly, but people who kept going, not just because of themselves, but because they placed their hope in the one who didn't give up on us and leave us to a tomorrow that would just be the same as today but who took action, taking on flesh and blood in Jesus, coming amongst us, entering even the darkest of experiences on the cross. But even from that, bringing new life, new hope, a new future. Nothing is beyond that God. And nothing can keep him from us. In him we can have more than mere optimism. For we are part of a long continuing story of those who walked with God. And because of Jesus, we too can see things differently we can have confidence in what we hope for. An assurance of what we still do not yet see. For our faith and our future is in the one who fashions the visible out of the invisible. Grace and peace be with you.